Welcome to a new episode of Latino USA. Your typical host, Maria Inojosa, is on vacation. I, Zoe Wynn, am stepping in for a place. To begin, author Otto Santa Anna once said that, quote, the Mexican sleeping giant never woke up. It died in its sleep in the summer of 1993, end quote. Santa Anna uses this proverbial description in reference to what is known as the Latinx sleeping giant. While he refers only to the Mexican sleeping giant in this quote, this analogy is often applied to all Latinx people in the U.S. While Santa Anna and many others might be correct about the sleeping part, there is no such thing as a giant of Latinx voters. In fact, the sheer diversity and panethnicity of a Latinx population in the United States makes it impossible to categorize what is presumed to be the Latinx vote. Cristina Beltran, in her book, Trouble with Unity, explores the unfixed identity of Latinx people. She cautions that one cannot believe there will be shared political belief or partisanship due to the simple fact that two people are Latinx. Beltran tells us on page 157 of her book, such presumptions of shared political consciousness are continually challenged by the reality of Latino ideological diversity, both within its constituent subgroups and in large notions of a pan-ethnic whole, end quote. Beltran introduces us to the idea that a pan-ethnic whole contradicts the idea that we can simply assume the, part, the partisanship of Latinx people. There is all too common the assumption that Latinx people are automatically Democrats and will vote for the Democratic candidate. This assumption neglects factors such as country of origin, settlement and integration into the U.S. political system, societal deterrence to participation in the political system, differing levels of education, socioeconomic levels, and generational differences. Despite this list of differences, there is a consistency across party lines that account for low voter turnout and low levels of political participation amongst all Latinx people. Lisa Garcia Bedoya tells us that these low levels of voter participation have to do with either lack of knowledge and accessibility to enter the political system or sheer feelings of disempowerment. In this podcast, I will dive into these factors that create for an ever-shifting Latinx demographic and for salient reasons across party lines that the Latinx people vote is indeed asleep. I will turn to my first guest, Marissa Abranajo, to explain a little bit about the complexities of the Latino, the Latinx voter bloc. Marissa, welcome. Could you elaborate a little on this idea that the Latinx vote is not considered giant? What makes Latinx people different from any other voter group? Well, Zoe, thanks for having me on your show. As I say on, on the first page of my title, of my chapter titled, The Complexity of Studying Hispanic Political Behavior, this, there's, it's because of a variety of factors. Hispanic political identity is constantly changing and highly fluid. And additionally, as I say on page three in my chapter titled, Voting Behavior, quote, while Hispanic support for Democrats remained fairly constant over this period of time, at an average of 61.8%, Hispanic support for the Democratic Party is clearly not on par with that of Blacks. Interesting, Marissa. While 61.8% is a majority, that number is actually much lower than people, many people expect when they think of Democratic Latinx voters. What is one reason that, that, that the Latinx 
electorate doesn't vote as consistently democratic as the black electorate. Well, Zoe, as I mentioned on page 17 in voting behavior, the exit quote, the exit poll data typically show that of those Hispanic voters supporting democratic candidates, they usually possess lower levels of educational attainment than Hispanic voters supporting Republican candidates who tended to have higher levels of educational attainment, end quote. Okay, Marissa, so it seems that there's a strong and consistent correlation between those with low levels of education and socioeconomic status and those who vote Democratic. Lisa Garcia Bedoya and Michael Alvarez are also here with us in the studio today talking about their article, The Foundations of Latino Voter Partisanship, Evidence from the 2000 Election. Lisa and Michael, welcome. What are some other factors that debunk this idea of the quote-unquote giant? Well, on page 45, we say that, quote, national origin may be acting as a proxy for each group's political integration process. Cuban-Americans have had a historically unique migration and settlement experience. They have been incorporated into American politics with, in particular, political, institutional, and ideological constraints that have moved them towards identification with the Republican Party. Mexican and Puerto Ricans, on the other hand, have had historical experiences that have moved them towards the Democratic Party, end quote. This is an extremely interesting point, Lisa and Michael. Thank you. It is important to recognize that partisanship is not only country of origin, but also settlement experience of groups of people as they first migrate to the U.S. The first wave of Cuban immigrants were naturalized easier and accepted into the U.S. because they were fleeing from communism. This is compared to many of the migrants from Central and South America today who came to the U.S. as economic migrants. The Latino threat narrative as a frequent part of U.S. national discourse, economic migrants were seen as a threat and as criminals. This would have a clear effect on how they are welcomed into the U.S., but also how they feel towards American political and governmental institutions. For example, senior editor at The World, Daisy Contreras, recently hosted a podcast called The Latino Conservative Vote in 2020. Reporter Daniel Urivero, a guest on the podcast, was reporting on a half-Mexican, half-Cuban, 18-year-old named Jacob, who is a Republican. Jacob's family has been in the United States for a long time, and Daniel Urivero says that, quote, immigration isn't an issue for Jacob or his family, end quote. Jacob's experience in the U.S. and his political beliefs are informed by the lived experiences of his assimilated family. Jacob's scenario is a perfect example of how diverse the political beliefs are of Latinx people. This is is in comparison to Pink, who is a gender non-binary person and, and is Cuban and Puerto Rican. Pink's story was introduced by journalist Alejandra Martinez, who was another guest who was a guest on another The World podcast called Get Out the Latino Vote. Pink wanted to vote for Bernie Sanders because they were frustrated with the status of healthcare and immigration in this country, especially as they saw the clear wealth inequality that was highlighted through the pandemic. Jacob and Pink are both Latinx and both from Miami. However, their political beliefs are extremely different. Through this, we can see that there is no salient Latinx voter bloc, and there is certainly no automatic partisanship because one identifies as Latinx. However, 
there is one part of the sleeping giant metaphor that is correct. The sleeping part is extremely relevant in all of U.S. political history. According to Latino USA, 14 million eligible Latinx voters didn't vote in the 2016 presidential election. This is compared to 12.7 million eligible Latinx voters who did vote. We can see that that out of Latinx eligible voters, more did not vote than those who did vote. Lisa Garcia Bedoya, I turn back to you to analyze some of the reasons why there is such low voter turnout and political participation among Latinx. From reading chapter four of Why Book of Why Vote of your book, Race, Identities, and Politics, as it seems as as if the reason for a disengagement in politics changes depending on immigration and citizenship status. Yes, Zoe. Well, on page 104, on page 106, excuse me, of chapter four, I summarized the feelings of Latinx respondents in a study I conducted. Quote, the first generation respondents emphasized their own agency and tended to say that they were disinterested because of lack of information and inability to, quote, know what was happening in the United States. The second and third plus generation, in contrast, emphasized structure and more, were more explicit about their disinterest stemming from their overall feelings of disempowerment within the political system. End quote. This is extremely notable. Thank you, Lisa. Among first-generation immigrants, or those who are less quote-unquote assimilated into U.S. politics, lower, low levels of voter participation isn't because there's no interest it's because there's little, little confidence in participating in the political process. In fact, on page 108, Lisa, you say that, quote, both men and women said that while they felt it was important, especially because they believed Latinos were being attacked politically, it was difficult for them to develop an interest in politics. They considered politics too confusing and complicated to have an accurate opinion about what was going on, end quote. First-generation immigrants have interest in the U.S. political system, but because they have low levels of understanding, they often choose to avoid politics. This is in contrast to your second point, to your point that second- and third-generation Latinx people don't participate in politics because they feel disempowered and frustrated. Jay, a fifth-generation Mexican in your study, Lisa, explains his complete disengagement with politics well. He says, Quote, I'm not into politics, any of them. I mean, politics, like the White House, just the whole thing. I don't know about politics or like the Republicans or whatever. I heard that, that they were against us or whatever. I just don't know. End quote. This disconnection from politics stems from the dichotomy of us versus them. Latinx people historically and still today feel as if they are marginalized and ignored by politicians. It's almost like the Latinx people feel like it is them versus the U.S. bureaucracy. I also want to acknowledge that with disengagement comes a lack of conversation and debate within Latinx communities. Lisa, you point out on between pages of 111 and 112 that, there, that this is a problem for young Latinos. Please elaborate. Yeah, thanks, Zoe. So young Latinos were found to be least likely the least likely racial group to report having discussed politics with their parents. This general lack of family political discussion among Latinos could have an overall depressive effect on the political interest and engagement of the second generation. End quote. Interesting. Lisa. Hmm. 
it seems that there this is a cyclical nature of disengagement in politics, either due to a simple lack of understanding or frustration that deters communities and households from discussing politics. In addition, there's also structural barriers that impede Latinx voter participation. Some of these barriers are cultural, like the aforementioned lack of community political involvement, or as you, Lisa, mentioned in Why Vote, gendered reasons. Oftentimes in machismo or marianismo culture, women are expected to deal with issues of the home and men to deal with the quote-unquote public issues, which do include politics and voting. In addition to this, there are institutional hurdles that disproportionately affect Latinx people. Some of these include elections during the work week or voter intimidation. In the movie, Willie Velasquez, Your Vote is Your Voice, activists talk about their experience of get out the vote in Latinx communities around Texas. They recount stories of sheriffs standing outside polling stations and locals making threatening comments to them. This is not an anomaly. Tactics of voter intimidation have an, an enormous effect on, on Latinx communities, especially when confidence in government is already low. Another substantial reason why Latinx people don't vote is because of immigration status. Naturalization and citizenship status is, no, is the number one determinant if you can vote in the first place. To quote you, Lisa, once again, on page 18 of Why Vote, you say, quote, for immigrants, the first step towards exercising the right to vote is naturalization. Immigrants, immigration scholars see naturalization as a significant step in the integration of immigrants into deter determining their future political power. You go on to say, quote, but there are many factors, geographic, socio-demographic, and institutional, that influence rate, rates of naturalization and, in turn, immigration, immigrants' formal attachment to U.S. political institutions, end quote. It is not fair to expect in thinking that all immigrants can and will become naturalized citizens as soon as they get the chance. Lisa, you also pointed out that the Immigration and Naturalization Services, INS, actually rejected the, ap the applications of immigrants from some countries at higher rates than others. There is not salient voter turnout among Latinx people because all Latinx people have different experiences with accessibility to vote, legal citizenship to vote, or even basic respect for their constitutional right to vote. In this last section of this podcast, I would like to address the assumption that Latinx people do not vote consistently. So many people ask, why should we put the time and effort into caring about their vote? This question, while in this podcast is posed in an extreme, is asked and acted on all too commonly. Through the Willie Velasquez movie, we see how Republicans capitalized on the Latinx on Latinx voters becoming more involved in local, regional, and national politics due to much of the get-out-the-vote efforts of Willie Velasquez himself. For example, in 2004, in the presidential election between George Bush and John Kerry, the National Annenberg Election Survey estimated that 41% of the Latinx vote went to Bush. This is in comparison to Bill Clinton winning 71.7% of the Latinx vote in the 1996 election. This is an example of just how malleable and unfixed the Latinx vote is 
and shows how much potential it has to swing elections. However, while the Latinx vote typically is at lower turnout rates than other racial groups, there are, Latinx people are extremely invested in their communities. Sophia Wallace, you talk about this in relation to Latinas in your paper, Examining Latino Support for Descriptive Representation, The Role of Identity in Discrimination. What are your thoughts? Well, Zoe, on page 321, I note that, quote, Latinas tend to engage in non-electoral participation more frequently than Latinos and are more heavily involved in community organizing while taking secondary roles in traditional electoral politics. Hmm. Thank you, Sophia. This is important to note because in looking at the low levels of voter participation, one could say that in not voting, they're being that Latinx people are being anti-democratic or not participating in quintessential American values. However, in Deborah Skillkraut's work, Press One for English, she categorizes how people define their American identity. One category that is the second most common identification of how people identify with their American identity is civic republicanism. Civic republicanism emphasizes responsibilities of citizens and the promotion of the common good, as Skillcraft defines on page 102 of her work. One of the defining features of civic republicanism is community engagement and volunteerism. Latinx people are engaging in the most quote-unquote American of ways, yet they are discounted as not assimilating or participating in society. Another way to show the cracks in this argument is by looking at military involvement among Latinx communities. A high number of Latinx people are entering the military as a way to assimilate into U.S. culture as a path to citizenship, but also just because they feel an immense pride to be in this country and to fight for this country. However, despite showing the ultimate sacrifice and commitment to the U.S., Latinx military members are still seen as not doing enough to show their Americanism. In the Enlisted podcast, an undocumented immigrant who has lived in Virginia enlisted in the army and was deployed to both Iraq and Afghanistan. However, after both of these tours, he returned to the U.S. to find that he's still at risk of being deported. We see time and time again that there will never be enough for Latinx people to prove that just because they aren't voting, they are still performing fundamental American values. The Latinx vote in this upcoming election is absolutely crucial, but election year after election year, the vote goes untapped. The questions we all must be asking ourselves for this election is if candidates will recognize the diversity and changing nature of the Latinx community. Will they understand that there, that is not guaranteed to get the vote from the Latinx community? Will they harness all the energy that is put into community organizing and involvement among the Latinx community and instead put it into inspiring people to become involved in politics and vote? Or will they yet again lose so many potential voters? Thanks for listening to this episode of Latino USA with your your substitute host, Zoe Wynn. Your typical host, Maria Inosa, will be back next week.